Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. The 178th edition of the Four Corners podcast starts right now. From the Basketball Podcast Network, this is the Four Corners podcast. We win 54 to 53. North Carolina did it. North Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan. Jumper from out on the left. Good. Fred Brown looking. Oh, way to worthy. The Tar Heels are going to win the national championship. Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout. They're out of timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul on Michigan. They're out of timeout. And the party is ready to begin on Franklin Street. Gets it back out to head. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national gadgum champions. Love guarded by Keels. Gets a screen. Pulls up for three. Got it. Caleb from straight away. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony, we're back with you guys once again today, getting you ready for Carolina's next matchup, which comes against the Citadel. That game will be Tuesday at 7 p.m. over on ESPN, too. So we're going to break down the matchup with the Bulldogs, get you everything you need to know about the opponent, get you everything you need to know about the Tar Heels, give our keys to the game and more, but we start every edition of the pod as we always do with our pod thought of the day, which is brought to you by DraftKings. And we go to the owner of the Dallas Mavericks. You see him on Shark Tank on Friday nights as well. Noted billionaire Mark Cuban. Um, And Mark was one time quoted as saying, it it, it comes down to finding something you love to do and then just trying to be great at it. And I don't know, Anthony, if you love doing the podcast as much as I love doing the podcast, but I, I do think we're both trying to become great podcast hosts. And this Tar Heel basketball team, which you know entered the season with this thought and belief that they were going to start the season off in great form and fashion, hasn't been the case. They are just six and four. But we have talked so much about this team finding the love and the joy that comes in playing the game. And then in that process, they could become a great team. And they're coming off a really big win over the weekend against Georgia Tech. And now they're looking to carry that momentum into this matchup against the Citadel. Yeah, I I think, you know, we we – we saw this earlier in the year against James Madison and we said, could they carry it over? And I think looking back on it now, and hopefully as the 
season goes along, it, it will prove that, you know, Portland was a, a much better team than they were entering that tournament. And they showed in that tournament why a lot of people were really high on them in the preseason. But after that, Carolina was never really able to carry that over. Well, Carolina's got a chance to do that starting with this game on on Tuesday. And it's I think it's very similar um, in the fact that this is a Citadel team. I mean, they're not to the same level that Portland is. But this is a team that you cannot overlook. You've got two big games coming up in Ohio State and Michigan. But this is a game that Carolina can build off of what they did against Georgia Tech and, you know, establish a a rhythm for really the first time this season because it's never really felt like Carolina has been able to get into, you know, the spot that they were late last year. And I'm not saying you'll be able to do exactly that with this game. But it's just about establishing, uh, uh, you know, some confidence for yourself before you head to two more neutral site games, which so far this year, you know, haven't been easy for you. And you you, you go in with a chance to, you know, potentially come out of that. I mean, we, we've I've said it, you know, when we were talking about those two games before, you know, it's important for Carolina to get at least one of those two. Um, they they have to be able to prove that they can handle playing tournament teams because we don't know if Georgia – I mean, we, we saw that team the other day. I don't know if Georgia Tech is a tournament-caliber team. But building off of what you did the other day and, you know, c- continuing to pound the glass, to move the basketball the way you did, that can only pay dividends for that, that tough two-game matchup stretch that you have coming after that. I uh, I gave you a chance to actually defend yourself and say that you do love doing the podcast and it shows you just completely win a different 180. Um, so at this time, we are taking applicants for Godford people to become the next co-host of the show, someone that would love to talk about the Tar Heels with me. You can send your, your application to my DM at HTB underscore Josh on Twitter. Yeah, well, I I mean, I think that we can. I mean, if we're doing that, I mean, can we can we do the same thing on the football side of things too, or no? No, because I dude, there's nothing I love more to do than sit yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, that's I'm right. While you were wrong, like for the majority of the season. Yeah, so. that's exactly what people want to hear on the podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I I I think you're right, and I think you know Carolina does have two massive games after this. There are quad one games, and people are probably rolling their eyes at hearing us talk about resumes and stuff like that as it's December 11th on the day of recording. Um, but Carolina, because the ACC is pure all pure trash once again, Carolina right now has six quad one games remaining the rest of the way, and they're going to have to make the most of them to build to get to to build a resume that would equal one that you, you're used to seeing from a team preseason ranked number one. Um, the, the, the thing right now is that Carolina's schedule and where they are this time this year mirrors exactly where they were a year ago, which basically meant they had no margin for error. And they had to they put themselves in a situation where, you know, they had to win a, a, pretty, a, a pretty impossible task at Duke to solidify their tournament standing. Of course they would, and we would know how that season would go on. And 
Carolina can't look too far ahead. They do have to take care of the opponent that is in front of them, which is the Citadel. Uh, the Bulldogs do come to Chapel Hill with a 5-4 and four record. They have played one opponent that Carolina has played, that being the College of Charleston. Uh, and the Bulldogs fell 79-57. And one thing that the Citadel was struggling to do is, is score the ball and, and, and score it well. They only have two guys right now averaging double-figure scoring. They're led by Stephen Clark's 16.3 points, 6.8 rebounds, 2.1 assists. He is shooting 53% from the field, but just 31% from behind the three-point line. The only other guy in double figures for the Citadel is Austin Ash. He's averaging 15.1 points, uh, 4.8 rebounds, 1.3 assists. He's shooting 38% from the field and just 34% from behind the arc. So like Carolina, the Citadel having a really hard time scoring the ball and, 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 and shooting it from the outside at a very efficient rate. Now, as for Carolina, they come in with just a 6-4 and four record. Um, and as we mentioned, they have the common opponent, which is the College of Charleston. But Carolina beat them 102-286 back in the second game of the season in a game that we thought was, was Carolina's get-right game. We thought that was the first time – the you know after a real sluggish opening win over Wilmington that that was the time Carolina was going to really start looking like the preseason number one team and to this point that just hasn't come to fruition just yet the heels do have four players averaging double figure scoring Caleb Love still leads the team 18.1 points 4.3 boards uh 3.1 assists just 41 percent from the field 25% from three. Armando Baycott, 16.7 points per game, 11.3 rebounds. He's shooting 54% from the field. Uh, R.J. Davis, 16.1 points, 5.5 rebounds, 3.0 assists. He's shooting 42% from the field and 27% from three. And then Pete Nance, 12.7 points, 6.3 boards. He's still shooting over 50% from the field at 51 and shooting 36% from behind the three-point line. The thing I found very interesting about Carolina's numbers entering this game is they've now got three dudes averaging 16 points per game or more. Uh, three other four guys that are averaging double figures are averaging over 16 points per game. And i got to tell you, I don't remember the last time Carolina had three guys averaging 16 points a game or more this deep into the season. I mean, Carolina's now played 10 games. It's going to be really hard for these numbers to really fluctuate one way or another. Um, I mean, they'll, they'll have some ebbs and flows, but I mean, this is, this is something that I, and, and, and maybe you tell me, is this a, is this a good thing that Carolina has three guys averaging 16 points a game or more, or, or would you like to see, more balanced scoring where you still have four guys that are averaging double figures, but maybe it's Love with 18, Baycott with 16, RJ Davis with 14, and then Pete and then Pete Nance with 12. Well what what do you think about that? Is is it good to see three guys combining for 48 points that Carolina scores on a nightly basis? Or would you like to see the 
the points more spread out from the guys that are averaging double figures. No, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a bad thing. Like I think if you can have those guys all perform, you know, to to that standard night in and night out, you would definitely take that. Um if you could basically count on just about 48 points from that group by themselves uh each and every night and of course that would fluctuate, you know, up and down a little bit, but I think you would definitely take that. I think the thing that is the issue is when is the last time that we can remember all three of those guys playing well in the same game? It just, it doesn't, it hasn't happened. I, I can't remember an instance this year where it's happened. Um, so, I, I mean, that's the thing is I don't think it's a bad thing, but I think part of what you're seeing is that there's just so much inconsistency from everybody at this point on the offensive end of the floor that you're having these big games that are, you know, sort of bolstering their numbers and putting them into that range. You just want to see these guys. I mean, if you could get these guys to score in that range consistently, I feel like you've got enough around them where you would be able to, to, to score like beat Nance could do enough. We've seen at moments, you know, Leaky Black score the ball pretty well. And then you're starting to find some solutions off the bench. So, I mean, look, of course you would like one of those guys to step up and probably and, and get closer to that 20 per game mark. That would be great. But I think right now you could you could live with being where Carolina is at, where, where you have three guys scoring – 16, 16 points per game, a little bit over that, and you would be fine. It's just, can you find the consistency? Can those guys step up? And it doesn't, when I say consistency, we're not talking about literally every night Carolina has to have those guys scoring 16 or more points. But you, you just, you can't have these games where it seems like some of these guys just completely disappear. And we've seen that. Throughout this year, Armando, look, part of that has been because he's been banged up. There's no doubt about that. But the two guards, you need those guys to sort of find a more consistent scoring presence night in and night out. Because I think if you can find that, take this game, for example, if if you get that in this game, especially with how much the Citadel is struggling scoring the basketball, you feel pretty good about Carolina's chances to not only win the game, but to probably win it pretty comfortable. You know, when I was when I was getting ready for this edition and I saw those numbers and it was three guys with 16 or more and then four guys with 12 or more. You know, we we talked what we do so much in this business is is we compare we compare things, we compare coaches, players, teams, etc. And for this team, we looked at because of the national title expectations. We look back to 09 and 17 more so than a five, but I think what this team is really kind of starting to really remind me a lot of is that 2012 team where you had that, that, that big four of Kendall Marshall, uh, Harrison Barnes, John Henson, Tyler Zeller. And it was a team that like this team struggled to, to shoot the ball from the perimeter um, you got to remember guys like Reggie Bullock and PJ Harrison would come off the bench and they were, they were Carolina's better perimeter shooters, but that was a team that, you know, a lot more dominant on the glass than this team was, but 
kind of played at the same pace that Carolina does, where you know, this this Tar Heel team, as well as they score the ball, it's not like they're out here playing 80 possession types of games. Um, you know, they they ha- they have the ability to be a really good defensive team. We've seen this team have the ability to be a really good defensive team. Um, and the thing about that team was they entered the year with number one ranking. They were the favorite to win the ACC, to win a national championship. Um, and even they had struggles early on, but before the ACC season kicked off, not to the same extent that this team had, but they they had some, you know, they, they had a loss to UNLV that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and, you know, they would eventually find their way. They would win an ACC regular season title. Um, and if Kendall Marshall doesn't break his his wrist, many people, myself included, believe that that team wins the national championship. And so I think that's maybe maybe that's a comparison that we can kind of keep our eyes on throughout the season. Another thing we got to keep our eye on in this game is there's there's history on the line now every time Armando Baycott walks out on the court. Um, 61 double-doubles, um, tying Billy – uh, Cunningham for the most all time in Carolina history. Um, he was no, he got the nickname the Kangaroo Kid for the way he rebounded the ball for Dean Smith's teams back in back in the mid sixties. Was a big part of laying the foundation for what we know about Carolina basketball is today. The thing about Cunningham is that he did all of he did his sixty one double doubles in three seasons. At the time, freshman didn't play. Uh, on the varsity team, they played on the freshman team because, believe it or not, in this in the '60s, freshman basketball was a really big deal. It, it used to sell out, whether they played in Carmichael at the time or 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 or, or Woolen Gym. It would used to be a capacity crowd. So, with Armando Baycott now tying it, and every time that he can now walk on the court and, and break it, and I think the the belief and the expectation is that it would happen in this game against an undersized overmatched opponent. What, what do you think that'll mean to, to him individually for, uh, for his legacy in Chapel Hill? And, and what do you think Tar Heel, how do you think it will shape how Tar Heel fans remember his four years here uh, at Carolina? Well, I'll start with the first one. I think personally, I mean, it's probably, it, it probably means a pretty good, uh, pr- pretty good amount to him. I mean, because he's been there for so long. Um, and again, it wasn't the easiest start to his career. Keep in mind that he also was a part of a team that had to go through COVID, which is something that we have never seen before. We have never seen the type of separation that you had to have uh, from you know just an overall life standpoint, but especially as a team living in a hotel, um, pretty much just on your own outside of when you were at practice or playing in games. Um, so for him, I, I feel like he will definitely appreciate that milestone. That that'll be a big moment for him. Um, in terms of you know what it does for his legacy at, at Carolina. You know, I I think we had that conversation coming into the year about where exactly would he rank all time amongst big men. Um, and I think when you when you look at it, it's it's hard in a lot of people's minds probably to put him in the same category as some of these other all time greats like Hansborough, Worthy, Perkins, all, all those types of guys. Mainly because you, you look at the first two years of his career. 
and he he didn't win anywhere near as much as those guys did early in their careers, and especially at the end here. I think the thing that's going to matter the most for him is what is what, what ends up happening at the end of this season. If he wins a national championship, even if he just gets back to the final four, I think Denny's probably in that conversation. But I think if you're just looking at pure players at the position, I, I mean, he's he's got to be – He's got to be pretty close to in that conversation. Um, and, you know, the thing is, he hasn't been as dominant as he was at, you know, th- from the middle part to the end of last year. But you're starting to see, you're hoping that you're starting to see some signs here. And again, it's all about him getting healthy because once he does, you would feel like he can get back to being that guy. But I, I still think regardless you know, this, this when, when he passes this, we're, we're imagining in this game, because as you mentioned, the Citadel, a team that's undersized, very similar to Georgia Tech in, in the fact that a lot of their rebounding is sort of spread out. So you would feel like this is a game where Carolina should be able to take advantage of their bigs inside with Baycott. Um, I, I think that that will show you that he, he no doubt, has to be in those conversations. But again, I think it all comes down to what does he do at the end of the season. That will ultimately determine just how much he is in those conversations when Carolina fans are debating who's the greatest big man of all time. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I mean, I think if this guy goes on to to win a national championship, that only you know that only elevates his legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that only elevates his seat at the table when, when we're discussing the best big men to ever play here at, at Carolina. And I feel like, I feel like if, if he helps get this team back to the final four, whether they win a national championship or not, um, I, I think he's kind of reached the plateau that Marcus Page, Bryce Johnson, it helped Joel Berry and Theo Pinson's case that they won a national title. But I think he's now reached this plateau where no matter what, he is going to be, you know, uh, one of the guys that this fan base will just forever love because, you know, coach, you know, coach, you know, Davis always talks about, he wants guys that are here with their two feet in and they're, they're a part of the university from a basketball standpoint, but from a community standpoint, and we haven't seen a player embody that sentiment more than Armando Bacon. I mean, you're talking about a guy that very active on social media with other Tar Heel athletes, very active in recruiting other athletes that play other sports to come to Carolina. Mm-hmm. He shows up at field hockey events, volleyball events, women's basketball events. Um, you know, he's got the tattoo with the, the foot on him. He had the his hair his hair to start the season kind of looking like the horns that that Ramsey's wears. Like he he has embraced being a Tar Heel to the absolute fullest. And for a guy like me that really believes in everything that Carolina is, everything that Carolina stands for and values, it, it's it's really extra special to see a player like that who 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 cares so much about the this university have all this success. So I don't, I think no matter what happens this season, he will be a guy that 
whenever he comes back to the Smith Center, he'll get the loudest cheer. Whenever he he shows up on the video the video board during the I'm a Tar Heel speech, people are going to cheer for him because this guy loves being a Tar Heel and he really loves his time at Carolina. Well, with that, guys, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to get you the latest ad from DraftKings. Then when Anthony and I come back, we'll give our keys to the game and pick the game. As Carolina returns to action against the Citadel, we'll, we'll give our keys to that game and more on the Four Corners podcast back after this message from DraftKings. The NBA season is heating up, and there are still so many games coming up. Like if you're a local fan of the Charlotte Hornets, the 76ers are in town. The Minnesota Timberwolves are in town. Or if you're a Knicks fan like me, there's a lot of games coming up as we get ready or as we continue to make our way through the NBA season where you can make plenty bets on the association. When I'm looking to get in on the action, I bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money lines on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out, guys. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to DraftKings. Go, go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, and more. The more the more you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win. So whether you're betting on just a straight-up win or how many you know threes Steph Curry is going to have or how many rebound, or rebounds Joel Embiid is going to have, you can place all those bets and parlays at DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TBPN. Place a $5 pregame money line bet on any on, on any NBA team to win their game and get a $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions do apply. See show notes for details. Really hope you guys are taking great advantage of all these great offers I've been giving you here on the Four Corners podcast. Same for Anthony over there on the Heel Tough blog podcast. And the first key I have written down is is a very it's a very simple one, and it's build off the offensive success from Saturday. And I think that's that's going to be the, the I think that's going to be a real a, a real imperative for Carolina as they that you look at those two games against Ohio State and Michigan, where you you want to be in a better rhythm going into those contests. Um, Carolina did a, a lot of really good things on Saturday. They, they moved the ball as well as they have all season long. They had their highest assist rate on made baskets at 55%. Now it's got to carry over. Um, we, 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 you don't want to see them revert back to playing one-on-one ball or just not a lot of ball movement. And I think the biggest reason why you, you saw the offense – play the way it did was you you saw us the the change that we saw last year and that was RJ Davis running the offense, Caleb Love playing off the ball and then Hubert Davis integrating Seth Trimble off the bench to where he could have three ball handlers on the court but also freed RJ and Caleb up from having to create so much and they could they could run without the ball to to try to free themselves open and get really good looks at the rim. But it still starts inside where Carolina, that was the one thing they were so good at at Saturday where they just they pushed, they pushed the ball inside to Baycott, 
They had 36 points in the paint. They outscored Georgia Tech in that category, 36 to 22. And that really opened up everything else, whether it was driving lanes, whether it was kickouts, no matter what it was, it was a simple, the, the, the key to good offense is ball movement and paint touches. And, you know, I hope that Carolina can, can really, when they, when they, when they looked at the film, they could look at that and say, man, when we do those things, we're really, really successful. And then let's build off of that. Cause I do think, you know, we talked about in the last episode where you're not as concerned about the three point shooting as I am, even though they like it, they rank in the lower, you know, the, the lower, but you know, the very bottom third percentile and in, in major categories from behind the arc. I do feel like if, if they continue to move the ball, they continue to play inside out, they'll get more quality looks at the rim and they'll start to go into the basket and, and that's what they're going to try to do this in this game is build off of off of off, off Georgia Tech as they 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 get ready for another stretch of tough games against Power Five opponents. Well, the most important thing is look, you can't force it. Um, that's that's one of the things that I think this team has to avoid doing because you know we, we it, it's just right now things are not falling from the outside. But as you saw in this game against Georgia Tech that they just played. You can win a game by you know by not having to throw up a bunch of threes the, the way that you play, especially if Armando Baycott is on. So um, I, I think you're right. I think offensively the biggest thing that they have to do is to move the basketball because that's what starts everything that Carolina does in the half court. And look, if they can rebound the way that they did the other day, if they can create turnovers the way that they did the other day, they show they showed that look, when they get out in transition, they are going to have a lot of success. And that's the way to jumpstart this offense. But ultimately, in order for them to win this, to, to win any game, they have to be able to thrive in the half court because it's become such a big part of what this team does. And I thought. What we saw it, and the, the statistics are there to back it up. This team moved the ball as well as they have all season against Georgia Tech. Now, can they carry that over? Is this something that was was this really just a thing where Carolina just needed to sort of see it to believe it that this was what the biggest issue was for them offensively, or not? I think it I, I think they it has a chance to carry over because I think we saw it last year. When Carolina started the moving moving the basketball better last year, that was when they when things really took off. So I, I think you're gonna see that in this game. And yeah, creating those catch and shoot looks are huge. And you've got to find who that guy is. Um, I'm not overly concerned, but yeah, I, I think. You're you're gonna get to that point here eventually, where you're you're gonna have to start getting concerned if this goes deeper and deeper into the season. My thing to this point is that Carolina hasn't gotten those catch and shoot looks for the majority of the season. A lot of their three point looks from the outside have been just them going one on one and having to create space with either a step back or fade away. So I, I think. We saw it. I, I thought we saw a, a pretty good amount of it against Georgia Tech, where guys had looks and they passed it up. It, now it's about gaining some confidence offensively, shooting wise. And if you can do that, combined with 
the ball movement, I think then you're going to see a team that can thrive. And I, I think this might be a chance. This might be one of those games where Carolina can try to get themselves in a little bit of a rhythm, but you can't force it if it isn't there early. The second key I have for this game is for Carolina to establish a presence on the offensive glass. So as you can imagine, rebounding does show up, but there's some good reason why. First off, Citadel does average 28.9 defensive rebounds per game. That's 31st best in the country. So they're really solid in that category. But they also allow 11.6 offensive rebounds, which ranks 302nd in all of college basketball. So they are suspect as well as as good as they are on the defensive glass. They they do allow teams to establish a presence, mainly because they're undersized. They don't have the size, the depth, the skill that some of their opponents have played do. And, and you know, we, we saw Carolina really commit more to that on, on Saturday against Georgia Tech. They had 12 offensive rebounds in the ballgame after just having four against Virginia Tech in, in the previous game and none in the first half. You know, an, an absolute anomaly when you talk about Carolina basketball and you know, that, that's why we're so confident that this is the game that Ar- Armando Baycott does set the record in. But, you know, you saw R.J. Davis have a possession on Saturday where he had two offensive rebounds. You, you, you've you seen it was more of a of a more complete rebounding effort outside of just Armando Baycott. And, and I think this is an area where, you know, so many years, Carolina's best offense was simply just putting the ball up and going and grabbing its misses and scoring off of that. And not not that I, I, I want to see that happen because I, you know, I, I want to see the shots that they take initially go in, but there, there's there's nothing more demoralizing to your opponent to simply know that you can shoot whatever shot you want to take. And it's still a, a, a high percentage shot in, in theory because you're confident you're going to grab that miss and then score off of that. And, and so I think – if Carolina continues to to get to the offensive glass and work on its opponents, they'll get better looks at the rim. That's always the best time to take a three-pointer is after an offensive rebound. I think you'll start to see the percentages increase, their offensive rating increase, um, because it's it's basically the most important part of the game. It's It's rebounding, but whichever team wins, the offensive rebounding usually wins the game. The Citadel is very suspect in that category. I'd like to see guys outside of just Armando Baycott establish a presence on the offensive glass. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it that you, you what leads to the most success for this Carolina team in the past is when you get those second chance opportunities. And look, Carolina had 12 the other day, seven of them for Armando Baycott. But you saw, you know, R.J. Davis with two on the glass. You're right. You want to see other guys that can step up and really produce on the offensive glass, but it looks like it's going to have to be somebody besides Pete Nance. So yeah, I I think Puff Johnson is probably that guy that you look at that can maybe be your guy on the offensive glass. He had a, he had a great uh, offensive rebound and finish the other day. And, you know, I think now you you probably feel even a little more confident with it. And I know it was only two minutes, but you're hoping that eventually Jalen Washington can help to provide a little bit of depth there at uh, at the five position and, and that 
he can be a guy that can help you on that offensive glass. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that is a big part of it in this game. But I think it's just all around rebounding for Carolina. I, I mean, you've got to be able to build off of what you did the other day. And, and part of that was, look, you know, Georgia Tech's not a great rebounding team in, in terms of ha- having a dominant guy inside. But, hey, this is a team in the Citadel that, uh, like I said earlier, and like you referenced to there, that they're they're built very similarly. They do not have anybody that is dominant on the glass. Everybody is just really, really solid. And they're a team that right now, I mean, they average 37 rebounds per game, and they are just outside of the top 100 in rebounding. So uh, it's, a, you know, it's a solid team coming in rebounding wise. It's one that earlier in the season, you're probably a little more concerned about, but I think the biggest thing for Carolina on the glass, I I think that week off was huge for Armando Baycott just to get healthy. And if he is, if he's healthy moving forward, that then everything else I think just falls into place. Pete Nance, I think we've realized at this point, he's going to be a guy that's going to give you five to six rebounds a game. That's probably the max that he will be able to give you. So you have to have other guys that step up. But, I mean, R.J. Davis, this wasn't the first time this year where we've seen R.J. rebound the ball extremely well. He's had a couple other really good rebounding performances where he's just fallen short of double digits. So, I think for Carolina, it's just the overall rebounding because we saw the other day when Carolina cleans the defensive glass, they can get out and run, make things easier on the offensive end. It's huge. And when they can get those second chance opportunities, especially for a team right now that is struggling to knock down shots consistently, that is massive. So those are the things that have to carry over, but ultimately you have to be able to rebound the ball uh, extremely well if you want to win games the way that Carolina is playing right now. The last key I have for this ball game is to limit turnovers. It's the Citadel force 11 turnovers per game, which is 30th best in the country. And, uh, you know, we've seen Carolina at times be a little loose with the ball and the, the biggest reason why it's been such a bigger emphasis than maybe in normal years is because Carolina isn't playing at the same possession rate that we're used to seeing Tar Heel teams play at. They're not playing north of 80 possessions per game. They're really stuck in the, you know, the 65 to, to more like the 70 possession range right now, and which isn't which isn't a bad thing if if you're scoring efficiently in the half court. That's been one of the biggest reasons why Carolina had a four-game losing streak was that they weren't efficient in its half-court offense. But you're going to see a a Citadel team that, you know, look, this is a a military academy. Um, So they're going to have a little – they're going to have a little grit to them. They're going to have an edge and a toughness that, you know, you you don't usually see from – a mid-major, um, you're going to see some dif- some different defensive looks, and this is why Carolina seeing some of the things they've seen so far this year against the likes of James Madison. You saw some stuff from Portland and even Iowa State in the Phil Knight Invitational just this past weekend against Georgia Tech. All that prepares you for moments like this where you're going to see another type of 
you know, you know, defensive scheme from a, from a, an opponent that's got to, you know, do a lot of different things just to give themselves a chance to compete, let alone win the game. And this is where it comes down to maturity and experience. Um, I thought Carolina the other day did a really good job with the zone where they, you know, they made the right passes. They got good shots. They didn't try to force anything. This is, it's got to be the same thing tonight it, it, or in this game, you know, you want to play fast, but you want to play under control you, and you, you want to just make them react to what you're doing as opposed to react to what they are doing. And I feel like if Carolina protects the ball to eight to 10 turnovers and they don't give the, uh, the, 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 the opponent, those pick six turnovers, Huber Davis talks about all the time, it's going to make it really that much more harder for a team like the Citadel to come into the Smith Center and walk away with a W. I mean, we saw it the other day against Georgia Tech. I mean, there was a time early in the game where Georgia Tech was, you know, they had created six turnovers. They had scored eight points off of those turnovers. And that that was the reason that part of the reason that they were in the game. Um, And then Carolina made the adjustment. They, you know, did a good job of limiting those live ball turnovers. And from there, Carolina was able to sort of pull away. That was the, that's the biggest thing. We have talked about turnovers multiple times here on this podcast this year. And when we talked about them, the biggest thing is not even the fact that they are turning the ball over because they're not really turning the ball over at that high of a rate. We remember back in the 2019 and even at times during the 2020 season, Carolina turned the ball over an unprecedented amount of times. At time. there, I mean, there were games where Carolina was turning the ball over nearly 20 times a game. That's not happening with this team. The problem with this team is, is the way that they are turning the ball over. It seems like just about every one of them has been a live ball turnover. And I mean, even the other day, early in the game, a lot of live ball turnovers. So that's what you're trying to avoid if you're Carolina is be smart with the basketball. Don't force things. You know, I felt like there were times the other day where they were forcing the issue just a little bit, but there were other times where, you know, it it was just, you got to credit the guys on the other side of, of the floor. And I think, I think that's also, you know, you'll have moments like that in this game, but don't let this team get you out of your rhythm offensively and get themselves easy baskets on the other end because, you know, we saw once Carolina started doing that to Georgia Tech, we saw Carolina create a couple of turnovers and get out and run. That was really what changed the game. So the biggest thing for Carolina is you got to win the turnover battle in this game and be smart with the basketball. Don't force things that aren't there. Take what this what this team is going to give you and, you know, part of that is is just being aggressive. So for, for me, look, you got to drive the lane and be smart with it. I think now you've also gotten to the point where you can trust Armando Baycott a little bit more. I thought that was the best that he has looked off the bounce so far this season. Um, he, he took the ball to the hole a couple of times the other day, and I thought he looked really, really good with it, about as under control as, you know, he can look from, you know, what we've seen from him over the past four years. So I think there's reason to believe Carolina can handle that in this game. The Tar Heels enter with a 96.1% chance 
to win the game, according to ESPN's uh, matchup predictor. Carolina is seeking their second straight win at home, or, or their second straight win. They're looking. They're they're seeking to remain undefeated at home, buddy. Do you think the Tar Heels get the job done and improve to seven and four on the 2022-2023 season? I do. I, I think this is, and and again, I've said this multiple times so far this season. And I'm hoping that this is going to be correct this time. I really feel like this is the chance for Carolina to start showing what we were talking about from them in the preseason. And look, one game isn't going to make you a, a national title contender. And I don't know if that's exactly what we're expecting to see in this one. But I think this could this could be one of those games where you can pick up a comfortable win and show people that, look, I know you were panicking about our four-game losing streak, but a lot of that was the fact that we were away from home for as long as we were. We didn't have enough practice time to work on the things that were hurting us. And I, I think this is this is your chance to show that you can build off of what you did the other day. I think this will be another strong performance from Armando Baycott. You're going against a team that doesn't have the size inside to compete with him. I'm hoping that, you know, that that time off and, and maybe now that he's getting a little bit healthier, um, the, the mindset is back to being, hey, it's my job to take over these games and dominate the way that I did la uh, last season. And, you know, I also think that I, I feel confident that R.J. Davis can build off of what he did the other day. I think that's the guy that if you're looking for someone to be a, a consistent threat in that backcourt, you probably feel like he is the guy that has a better chance to do that than Caleb Love at this point. I think R.J. realizes that. I expect a, a, another strong game from him. And the other thing is, too, is I think Carolina will be able to shut down the Citadel on the offensive end. I think the Citadel one is struggling to score the ball themselves coming in. But I also think we didn't talk a, a, enough about just how good Carolina was defensively the other day against Georgia Tech. The way that they were able to play on-ball defense, the way they were able to stop the ball, I think for the majority of the day, I, I, saw, I think that is the best that Carolina has played defensively this entire year. I think they build off of that as well. And I think they get their best win of the season against the Citadel. I think maybe not the best win, most comfortable win is the way that I should have phrased it. And I think they 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 take it to the Bulldogs a little bit in this one. Yeah, I, I echo that sentiment about the defense that Carolina played against Georgia Tech. It was the best they played both individually and collectively. I thought they were the most connected they've been all this all season long. I thought they rotated really well. I thought they contested shots, and they were really good on the defensive glass. And I say all that to say that I do think, first off, Carolina wins. And I do think this will be maybe, maybe their most complete performance so far of the season. And, look, what they did against Georgia Tech on Saturday was, was really strong. I know it took them until the under-four timeout of the first half to really – separate themselves but they were still playing really good on both ends it was just Georgia Tech had made some shots I feel like Carolina getting back home getting their legs back underneath them understanding that look not all is lost there's still plenty of time to turn this season around they got to win 
They played well, so they could they could feel good about what they put on the court. Uh, I think you're going to start seeing this team now that all the pressure is off of them. Just kind of get back into being the type of team we saw them mold back into last spring when they went on the run all the way to the national title game. And so I, I do think they'll be able to overwhelm an opponent that they are just more gifted than they've got more size, talent, speed, strength, et cetera. I do think you'll see Carolina play maybe its best game so far this season and pick up their seventh win of the year. Well, no matter what happens on Tuesday night, we'll be here getting you covered. Uh, we'll have you covered on HeelToughBlog.com where you can find a preview for the game and there will be a recap posted the night of the game as well as I continue to take you through the basketball season. As for the football side of things, Carolina is starting to get prepared for their bowl game where they'll face Oregon in the Holiday Bowl, but they had a lot of guys enter the portal last week. They lost their offensive coordinator and their offensive line coach. We have you covered on that front as well. Find out who's all leaving who's all staying, and the impact of the guys that have left or that will be back in the Tar Heel football program next year. As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us. Uh, We're on every major podcasting platform. Just simply search the Four Corners podcast, and we will pop up. We encourage you guys there to rate and review the podcast. But most importantly, we want you to hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any additions of the podcast we're previewing games individually we're recapping games individually i'm mixing in interviews during the season as well so hit that subscribe button by the way you don't miss any additions of the show during the basketball season well with that guys this is going to wrap up this edition of the podcast i want to thank anthony once again for hosting with me want to thank you guys for listening and as always go tar heels Get any sweeter than that!